Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the House of Pod. My name is Kaveh Hoda. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I am the host of this fun little silly medical podcast covering the intersections of health, pop culture, and whatever else I want to cover. Today, I'm going to be covering fatty liver disease. It's something that people have wanted to hear about on the show for a while, and I've um, been, I don't know why, reluctant to do it. We'll get into that. Um, but today we're doing it. We are going to do it. And to help me do it are two of my friends and two uh, previous guests. We have Turner Sparks, comedian in New York City, whose comedy album Double Happiness is available on all streaming platforms. He is also one of the co-hosts of the podcast Lost in America. It's a news, um, news, right, Turner? But what you do yes. is you'll do like international stories and you'll bring on comedians from whatever country you're covering the topic in. And so you guys do it in this funny, cool way. Turner, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to be here. It's good to and have yes, you. And yes, you nailed the description of my podcast. Nailed yeah. it. Thank you. Thank you. It's a good podcast. It's a good podcast. I, I, Thank I'm you. I'm trying to think. Um, you know, I want to get on your podcast, but I don't really fit because even though I am Persian, I am here. So I can't really help you that much with what's happening in Iran which you should be covering, which is great. And still, we, we are covering it. Yeah, we've done an Iran episode. Um, we did one. We were actually thinking of doing one soon because it's the one year anniversary mm. of uh, the tragic events from a year ago. We did it a year ago with a comedian. But um, what we found our audience doesn't like, we learned this the hard way. Iranians. We're like, oh, we have a friend who's an American, but his parents are from that country. And they're like, boo. Yeah, yeah. But we want. It has to be somebody in the country, from the country. They want the accent. They want the authenticity. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can, I can so, do the yeah. accent, but uh, no, not the authenticity. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. What do we care? Let's just do that. We have no, you know, 
<laughs> no, I totally understand. I totally get that. And I'm looking forward to that episode. Um, joining us also, Dr. Elliot Tapper, hepatologist at the University of Michigan. Dr. Tapper, welcome back to the show. Great to be here. It's good to see you again, my friend. Today, we're going to talk about fatty liver. Um, let me just start. Let me start with this. Uh, Turner, let's just start with the basics. What, what do you know about the liver? I know that if you drink too much booze for too long of a time, your skin gets kind of yellowish mm-hmm. and your eyes maybe also yellow. Everything mm-hmm. goes yellow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Why? they tell you your liver is failing. You're going to die. And then you go, ah, I can do one more drink. And then you die. <laughs> that's, that's not too that's far off. That's my basic right, understanding of the yeah. liver. Let me ask. Let me ask a follow up question, though. Um, why do you think it turns yellow? Um, it's something to do with the liver. There's there's a liver connection. The liver says no. Thank you. I thank you for all the alcohol, but I've been overserved. <laughs> You're, I, I'm giving you a signal, skin. Your skin's gonna go yellow, and that means a slow down sign. You okay. know, there's like red, okay. green, and yellow. I'm putting this. To, I'm learning as I talk here. You know, You're working but, through this. This is I'm working this is through good. this. Yeah, but you know, there's a green and a yellow and then a red and the red means yeah. stop. So red is that's when it's really bad. But yellow means slow it down, bro. And then you usually say, no, I can, I'm, I can drive. Give me my keys. Yeah. And then you die. It usually yeah. these stories and then you die. Elliot, what, how, how did he do there? Well, I would give that a B plus. It's a, a pretty plus? good. You're giving we'll him take... a B plus? It's a good that's... start. It's a good start. We'll take it. We can add we'll to take that, it. Though. It is it is interesting the the analogy of like the stoplight yellow. The problem in medicine is that sometimes when you get that warning, it's you know you're really at a red. <laughs> you're already at a red, and uh, the body the signs are just catching up. You know what I mean? Yeah, ideally, yeah, but I, we meet as I'm people way this, before. So uh, okay, uh, before uh, the before the body, the skin turns yellow. That's right, Elliot. Can, can you explain to to Turner here why the body turns yellow when you're your liver has had too much alcohol? Yeah. So the, the key point here is that when the liver starts to fail, it because it's so important for everything that your body needs, the storage or the make or making energy to feed the rest of the body, uh, the processing and creation of so many proteins and critical functions in the body, when it starts to uh, conk out, then crazy things start to happen. Like you turn yellow, you fill up with fluid, you forget who you are. And then the red part is you can be bleeding terribly uh, in a life-threatening way. So our whole goal is to meet people before all of that damage uh, arises. The yellow that you're talking about is that the liver actually processes most of the toxins and junk in the blood. And one of the junk uh, parts that it gets rid of is the stuff from rusty old red blood cells. So when they when your red blood cells are have reached the end of their life, they're disassembled and some of the parts have to be flushed out in our urine and poop. And if the liver is is all jacked up and it can't process that kind of stuff from the blood, flush it out, then it will back up and it will literally stain your skin yellow because of that. Turner, the, the liver is like super important, but I don't think that uh, people outside of medicine understand that. 
it doesn't i don't feel like the liver gets respect as a liver doc myself i don't feel like the liver gets respect in the commonplace public do you do you feel like you have underappreciated your liver yeah well oh oh 100% yes because um because the problem is these heineken and these companies they didn't start coming out with zeros until like 2 years ago so wait, where zero, like that, zero calorie or zero like alcohol? No, no, no. The zero alcohol stuff, oh. you know, that's all new. So your option was like, oh, duels, which like is disgusting or, you know, a Diet Coke or something. So everyone. Yeah, I, I think everyone mistreats their liver. I don't know what this is a question I would have for all of you. If I'm allowed to start asking questions here, please. What is too much? For your liver, what is too much alcohol for your liver? And a follow-up would be, is alcohol the only thing that negatively affects your liver? That's all we get taught negatively affects it. But there could be more things I don't know about. Well, I, I love these questions. And so starting with like the, the harder one first, which is how much alcohol is too much alcohol? And I think the World Health Organization is coming out saying any alcohol is too much. But it's so ingrained within our culture, that's kind of a hard place to start. So in general, we would say that seven standard drinks, like a glass of beer, four ounces of wine, a shot of a hard liquor, the that's about the limit for a week for a woman, 14 for a man. And that's because the way that we each metabolize alcohol is different. And then there are some people where uh, the, even that amount is even more toxic. For example, they already have liver disease or they have bariatric surgery. And so where the alcohol just hits the liver a lot, a lot faster. But, um, you know, so typically when we meet people in a, in a liver clinic, they're not usually just cruising above that level. They're, they're drinking an amount that would not surprise them to learn is actually toxic. Uh, so usually it's not a borderline kind of case. I think the other question, which is super important, is that I think a lot of people know alcohol in the liver but it turns out the most common cause of liver problems is something that used to be called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is basically like liver diabetes, where the liver will fill with fat and inflammation because of things like type 2 diabetes, obesity, high cholesterol. But there's also infections of the liver, hepatitis C, hepatitis B, hepatitis A, uh, and some rare autoimmune conditions. And that, got, that gets us into really what we're going to talk about today, which is fatty liver disease, or there's a new terminology for it, which I'll have you explain in just a moment, Elliot, but the liver disease that comes, it in some ways looks very similar to alcoholic liver disease. It can, um, but it's not due directly to alcohol. So Elliot, will you tell us a little bit more about fatty liver, like and what we call it now and what causes it? Yeah. So the, the most important thing to remember is that the liver processes all of the calories, all the energy that we take in. And if you are taking in too much energy or there's signals that are tricking it to holding on to too much, it will start to balloon up with fat. The liver will actually get fatty. It will turn yellow with fat. And, and for some people, that fat will catch on fire and start causing inflammation in the liver. So when there's fat in the liver, we would call that fatty liver or steatotic liver. That's the, the fancy word for it. So back in the day, uh, when this term was first, when this condition was first discovered, it was called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, where it was the steato is the fat and hepatitis, the itis of the liver. So, and uh, in the, when it was first described, it was literally some guy 
going to patients saying, are you, do you swear you're not a drinker? And then they would also ask the family, are, are you sure they didn't drink any alcohol? Because for all intents and purposes, it just looks the same. The alcohol tricks the liver into getting fatty and there's extra calories. For some people, when it catches on fire, when, when it gets inflamed, you can pick this up in the blood with elevated liver tests more often than not. Uh, but what the problem is, and the reason why I have a job, is that when the inflammation is going on in the liver, it's like there's a fire. And if you burn yourself, your, your skin turns red, but eventually that redness, that inflammation goes away and you're left with a scar. And that scar will replace the good parts of the liver. It will bend the liver out of shape. And then you start getting all of those symptoms of advanced liver disease, the jaundice, the fluid building up, build up and so forth. Cirrhosis, in, in other words. That's, that's the thing that I worry about we want to intervene on before we meet people like that. So how do you get fatty liver if it's not from alcohol? Yeah, so literally what is happening is that people, if you if you have too many carbs, extra sugar, then it, all of that sugar will get processed and turned into fat in the liver. People who have diabetes have insulin resistance and so the, the signaling that happens in the liver, the hormones in the body actually trick the liver to holding on to the fat. So the fat is created by your body trying to store sugar and other things in the liver as fat. And then for some people, that fat irritates the liver. And that's where all of the damage starts happening. But to just as a, as a note, though, you don't necessarily need to have diabetes, right, to get fatty liver. Yeah, 100%, right? So diabetes, people, uh, uh, mo many people, if not most people with diabetes, have fat in their liver. You do not need just diabetes. It's just a very powerful risk factor. But other risk factors are going to be overweight, uh, the metabolic syndrome without diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, and then there are some genetic things that run in families. So you, you talked a little bit about alcohol. You talked a little bit about fatty liver. In terms of, I mean, I'm sure Turner, you've heard of plenty of, I'm sure comedians, <laughs> you know, who have drank their liver to the point of cirrhosis, musicians for the same matter, you know? Um, yes. So that's, I think, pretty common. People understand you drink enough, you'll scar your liver to a point where it doesn't return. Um, I think everyone gets that. I think it's more surprising for people to know that fatty changes in the liver can do the same thing. Elliot, do you, do you have a, a sense of where which is more common now in the United States? What are the most common causes of this cirrhosis or scarring of the liver? Yeah, so like it's probably the case that somewhere around 40, 50 million people have fat or steatotic liver disease. And then about 12% of those people have the extra inflammation or so forth. And about 2 million Americans have cirrhosis in total. The most common cause of cirrhosis is this, the fatty liver or the steatotic liver disease. But the most common reason why people die or get, or get jaundiced, yellow skin, and so forth, that's actually alcohol because it's much the alcohol is so much more toxic and people get so much sicker. And so one of the reasons why the prevalence of the non-alcoholic type of liver disease is higher is because you're, you're, you're less likely to die in the short term because of it. Yeah. What about, I've always heard that you could um, drink 
for your as long that the, the liver could recover on its own. That was something you like when you're younger, they always said that that so you drink as long as you want. It was like being a Christian, like drink as long as you want, <laughs> as long as at the end you're like, no, 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 I believe in God now. Boom, you're in heaven. You, you and Tony Soprano are up in heaven. You're good, you know. <laughs> well, is that the case? That I that's one of my favorite parts about this job is that it's never too late to try to cut back or stop the thing that's upsetting the liver. And so I'll meet people with straight up liver failure who uh, their liver will recover almost all of the way. Now, I would not tempt fate that you don't, there's a chance <laughs> that it will not recover once you get severe liver failure. But we a meet- Pretty people... good chance to make that clear. <laughs> like, Are you saying no, I took the wrong message out of that yeah. story? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, there's a very good chance, but uh, I, I I still remain hopeful. the The thing is that if if you start earlier when there's just fat in the liver, that is a hundred percent reversible. Then, if you have inflammation and fat, that's likely a hundred percent reversible too. Just with weight loss or exercise. Then, when you start getting into the place where there's cirrhosis, there are many people that can actually reverse that or get it to a place wow. where you'll never get symptoms. But there are much more people that will not reverse it, could develop liver failure or liver cancer a as a result. So much harder to reverse things the sicker you get, although it still happens. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So tell us a little bit about this change in nomenclature. We've been calling it fatty liver disease or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, N-A-F-L-D. Um, but recently there's been a change. Tell us about that and tell us why that happened. Yeah. So um, the, the, the main reason for the changes in our society and in, in Europe was to get rid of the word fatty, which was perceived to be stigmatizing for patients. And so this is now like such a common thing. We got to go out there and find people with this condition and then get them to realize that their that their health, the health of their liver is at stake and, and change and turn things around. 
And there was a concern that the word fatty was a barrier to that. So uh, they went through a very long process. And they uh, and they got hundreds of groups involved to try to come up with the, a new name. And the name they chose is a bit of a mouthful. Metabolic Dysfunction-Associated Steatotic Liver Disease. That's the new name for fatty liver disease. And it remains to be seen whether or not people uh, think that it's non-stigmatizing. Because sometimes you, you, you tell somebody you have this condition, which we, which we pronounce mazzled. And, uh, and they'll say, well, what does steatotic mean? And, uh, well, it, it, it means fatty. So um, some patients really don't want to hear the word fatty. And some patients don't care. So I would be interested to see what ends up happening in the long run about whether it improves um, our relations with the community or reduces stigma. I don't know. What do you think, Turner? I, I think that what's the goal? I mean, is the goal to get people to shock them into reality and say, hey, you're not treating your body correctly. Time to turn it around. I would say fatty's not far enough. I would go, you know, what, what's a worse, I mean, what we, we need to be, this is serious. This isn't games. This isn't like, we all need to feel good about ourselves. This is time to turn your life around. This is like death's door. It sounds like. So I, I think if, if you're now using um, words that if you were to tell me you have, and then you said six words, I don't understand. I would probably be like, yeah, cool. And then I just go back to watching football. Uh, but if well, you told me, Okay, here, yeah, I, you I, have fatty, I hear what you're saying. I hear death. what you're saying. I hear, hear, I hear what you're saying. Like but... the word cancer, right? That's a serious word. We all know that word. And I'm being serious here. No, no, you I get somebody have a, cancer. A, they go. A what couple can of I do? things, though. A couple of things to that. One, I, I will say this: we are concerned about fatty liver, um, but that doesn't mean that everyone who has fatty liver is going to be at death's door. I mean, it's very common. We okay. see it all the time. Okay, so, so I'm wrong. It, it doesn't always mean they're at death's door, but I do agree it's serious and it needs to be taken seriously. I don't love mazzled. I just don't love, I don't think it, it's got good branding. I don't think it's going to go across that well, but at the same time, yeah. isn't it weird that we have this term fatty liver? It doesn't seem very scientific. You, you know, it'd be like calling cancer True. like yucky mass syndrome. You have like, Oh, you have yucky mass syndrome in your body. We have to, Oh, you have yucky mass of the, the colon. We have to get your yucky mass out. You know what I mean? It just doesn't sound very like scientific. What's a word that, you all know, I mean, I'm not, you guys can, you guys have a better resource to pick your brains for certain words. What's a word that everybody knows that's also like, like alarm bells sounding like, oh boy, I got to turn this around. Then a word that already exists in the nomenclature, not a word mm -hmm. that we're making up that sounds German vaguely. <laughs> that's a good question. Like massive, um, you know? Mm, that's a very good question. I don't know. I mean, emergency or something. Urgent, <laughs> urgent liver, urgent yeah. liver steatosis. Mm, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like dropping in something into the title that for both the doctor and the layperson shocks us. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a great question. I don't attack liver attack. attack. Liver. <laughs> we have heart attack. We have heart attacks. Yeah. Why not liver attacks? Yeah. I don't know. It's a really good question because I gotta be honest with you. I don't love. It is a mouthful, and I don't know. I mean, we we should. I'm gonna try using it. I'm gonna go with it. You know, because maybe we'll catch on and it'll maybe it'll work i'm curious but um but is, I, I it, is it true that sentence number two you tell them you have mazel and then they go what's that and then sentence number two is well you have fatty liver like yeah explain <laughs> it by using the thing we're not supposed to use anymore yeah and then they go oh, okay i got it yeah. yeah i mean that i mean that is sort of the case i mean we have to like it's like the same way we'll be like oh uh 
you know, you have a blank centimeter mass and they'll be like, what? And you'll be like, a grapefruit. <laughs> you know, you we have to yes. put things in terms of like fruit. You know what I mean? Um, because a lot of Americans just don't understand centimeters is, you know, that's how we deal with things in medicine. So we have to like yeah, designate it as a fruit or uh we won a war, so we don't have to know what centimeters are. That was the whole point. <laughs> That's right. So speaking of that, though, how do we fare, Elliot, in the U.S. versus other countries in terms of mazzled or fatty liver disease? You know, it, it used to be the case that uh, we would focus a lot on just how much mazzled there was in the U.S. And uh, we have a really high percentage. But I think a lot of that was because we were pretty transparent and the and we were doing a lot of the early research on this and now the 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 risk of massled in india is might be higher uh, by a proportion of the population hmm. and certainly in china it's viewed as a health emergency and all throughout uh, particularly uh, 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 the uk and europe uh, it, it is considered a serious problem there's less data about this sort of thing in um in africa uh but it is still an emerging global global problem that is interesting to me because you know we do like just commonly associated with obesity for example that's the sort of most obvious marker that people use not the only one you can get it without obvious obesity but you lived in china for a, a good portion of time yeah, too 12 do, years yeah so, yeah it's great so do do you are these places becoming more obese? Is that part of it or is it something else? I mean, I'll say this. When I was living in China, this is a true stat. They were building a new KFC every day. Wow. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Every yeah. single day there was a new one going in. And that was for real. There was over there was an average of over 365 a year. There's like 370 a year were being built for like a 10 year period. I mean, diets are changing for the worse. I think that's on, at least in, in China, where it, it's, I, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I don't think any like Chinese study would, I, this is, that's, you know, that's my, I yeah. didn't do an actual poll here, but you could just look around and see yeah. compared to what they were previously eating before Western foods and influence came in and all yeah. that stuff. Um, more I don't know beyond foods. that. I don't definitely processed. I don't know if sugar. Sh more sugary foods i mean i guess you have the data with the well the, the, the thing with mazzled. processed foods the more processed foods you get the more sugar is going to be in those processed foods it's just a part of okay. making processed foods like work is <laughs> like it's the easiest thing for them to do to a processed food is to to turn up the sugar in it elliot is there any sense of of that of why it's growing in these other countries yeah i think that uh, in general what you hear is that we we've, we've exported the western diet and uh, yeah. these sorts of USA, USA, USA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. like the, the anecdotes about KFC are the ones that you hear. And uh, it, it's definitely about increasing the amount of carbs and just overall volume of calories that people are consuming uh, meal by meal. So is it actually I, getting I, more common or is it just being diagnosed more? Both. I mean, it is definitely more common and being diagnosed more, but is uh, and it's in parallel with trends in obesity, and so we definitely have been monitoring the the average BMI by age group, and that has been going up, and it the, it tracks perfectly with that. So it's not just that we're we're now measuring it more through like liver enzymes or ultrasounds; it's independent of that. I could also say, I should come clean and say, I did run a Mr. Softy ice cream truck business in China for 10 years. 
Wait, did you really? But we weren't that, that for real? successful. <laughs> yes. I had 10 trucks and two stores, but we couldn't have made that big of a dent. You know, I, I wasn't luckily for them. I wasn't a good enough businessman to really go na- full national with it. You're the one. But, um, You're the reason it's happened. I would, I would, I would imagine KFC. those numbers. I was gonna, if I did my job right, those numbers spiked in Suzhou, China between 2006 and 2016. <laughs> but it, this is a, this is a tough conversation. I ha- I have to say this is a really tough conversation because as doctors, we we have over the last you know however many years we've been following this or caring about this, you know pretty much forever. Doctors have not done a good job of discussing weight, and we have not done a good job of addressing people uh, who might be overweight or, or talking to them about their health. And for that reason, we've lost some of the public trust when it comes to discussing this stuff. It's hard to have a discussion based on weight these days or talk about people's weights. And people are a little more sensitive to that. And I, and I understand why. I feel like as doctors, we've made people feel pretty bad about themselves. I mean, we I think it came from a good place. I think doctors wanted to help people. But because I think there hasn't been a lot of sensitivity to this issue, we've lost a little bit of the goodwill in, in regards to having these conversations. So it, it is hard, I think, to to have this conversation sometimes. Not for everyone. Some patients are like, yeah, fat, I mean, you can say I'm obese. I get it. I'm like, whatever. And and some patients don't care. But other patients do. Um, so, Elliot, how do you how do you manage this conversation? How do you talk to people um, about their weight in a way that is uh, understanding of where they might be coming from. You know, I'm, I'm privileged because people have been filtered through by the time that they meet me, they've been sort of coached or, or, or uh, uh, the idea has been planted before they, they see me. And I, I try to start out non-judgmentally and, and just if someone asks, well, how, how come this isn't happening to somebody who weighs more or my my brother who 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 weighs more than me, then I just explain that it's for they're they're too heavy for their 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 liver doesn't like their specific weight or uh, that is just the cards that were they were dealt. I try to make sure that they they see it as something they have control over, but not necessarily something that uh, they're, they're directly responsible for. And so. The goal is to try to make small attainable uh, lifestyle changes that can result in at least a 5% body weight loss. And so when, once you get people sold on the idea that they can make an improvement, that the liver does get better, then you have to try to link that that uh, that future goal to small changes like dropping out sugars in, in what they're drinking, looking at what they're snacking on and so forth. And I find that people are so excited to have concrete advice about what they ought to be eating, that they whatever displeasure they had with the idea that they could have been somehow responsible for their liver condition, uh, once they are told what could make them healthy, they're ready to run with it. I agree. I like that. I also try to emphasize that it, it it's not about putting blame on it. It's, for me, it's not like it's your fault you did this to yourself. I mean, because we all do things to ourselves constantly and some people just get away with it and don't have liver problems at all. And that's just, some people are going to be heavier and they're going to be fine. Some people are going to be heavy and they're going to, their numbers are going to, their labs are going to be great. Their ultrasound, their liver looks great. And that's, that's great. That's, that's who they are. And they're fine like that. But a lot of people don't. 
And it's not, I don't think, I, I never want to put blame on a person. Even if it's like they smoke and they get lung cancer. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any benefit in saying, oh, you did this to yourself. I mean, because lots of people smoke and don't get lung cancer. So it's, I, I, I totally, I, I always try to take that component out of it and, and make it clear that we're not about judging either way. This is about, look, this is something in your liver and this could cause problems. And here's how we recommend treating it. And weight loss is a big part of that. I mean, as as of now, that's the best way, right? Elliot, tell us other, tell us what the treatments are and then maybe what's coming down the pipeline. Okay. So so the first line treatment is, is going to be weight loss and it's remarkably effective. It's amazing to see it. But around 7.5% body, body weight loss, uh, you start to see a resolution of the inflammation and around 10 or 12% people can start to uh, heal up and undo any some of the scar tissue. It's once you start at about 5% body weight loss, your health related quality of life, if you do a scientific questionnaire about how good you feel, it improves by 10%. So people feel better and their liver is much healthier and uh, it recovers. Now, sometimes it's hard to do that with just diet or exercise alone. Uh, so, uh, what else can we do? Well, currently there are no FDA approved medications. We trained in an era where we were giving people vitamin E, uh, vitamin E can reduce the amount of inflammation in the liver, interestingly, uh, but many of us don't use it. Uh, right now it looks like the most effective fatty or steatotic liver disease drugs are going to be the GLP-1 receptor agonist. This is the Ozempix, Wegovy's, Mounjaro's. Uh, semaglutide, uh, tirzepatide. Uh, these these are medications that help with weight loss, and uh, it's substantial. Uh, there will probably be an approval next year, if not if not uh, if not in 2024 and 2025, of a drug called resmedarom. And resmedarom is a thyroid receptor agonist. So basically, what this does is it changes the way the liver cell metabolizes things it probably improves cholesterol at the same point. So it doesn't help with weight loss, but it does change the amount of inflammation and scar tissue in the liver, uh, but those uh, that hasn't been approved yet. So long story short, right now we have weight loss medications, and then we will start to see these new drugs that come out that play with the metabolism of the liver to change the amount of scar tissue or inflammation, the first of which has this name, resmeteron. So you... I have a couple questions. Um, when So when you say it's only 10%, that actually sounds attainable, 10% weight yeah. loss. So for example, if someone weighs 400 pounds, if they lose 40 pounds, that that does yeah. that does the trick? Yeah, so, so th they may have more to go to improve their overall health, but there's diminishing returns. Like that first 10% is a massive investment in their future. They will feel wow. be better. They will have improved life expectancy and liver health. Uh, so uh, they should keep going and we have to support them. But after you get there, then you're you're more than halfway in terms of liver health. Yeah, sorry. I would imagine people would think that, oh, like if I weigh 400 pounds, I have to lose 200 pounds to even make any difference. This feels impossible. But that message, it's just just like 10% gets you going. That seems really good. 
very impressive math you just did off the that was very just nice little flex you did there <laughs> with the with the math i was told there would be no math on <laughs> knowing 10 percent, it, it was pretty good um it, it, so uh, speaking of of you know diets and that sort of thing uh is there any particular diet you do recommend to these people or you just say do you kind of let them figure it out on their own or do you recommend a a, a certain type of diet well, you know, there's there's practice variation in practice here. So I'll, I'll hear what you have to say too. But uh, you know, we all we sort of grew up in this era where the Mediterranean diet was hyped. And I don't know about you, but not all of my patients can afford salmon and and uh, uh, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil and so forth. So uh, that is definitely good, right? The Mediterranean diet. So uh, so recommended. But if I had to uh, go for the gold. The first thing I would cut out of a diet is if anybody drinks a calorie. So don't ever drink a sugar soda. Don't put sugar in your coffee. It just go water or flavored water or seltzer or whatever. That's number one. Number two, I cut, I have them cut out potatoes. I ask them to imagine a plate and put a bunch of green things and meat on that plate and nothing white on it or only a sliver of it. And I go after chips, pasta, uh, rice, anything. So as long as we're eating more vegetables and less starches, we've got it made. What, what are you doing? Yeah, I agree. You know what I will I'll do is I'll be like, Turner, tell me like, what is the, the most quintessential American food you could think of? Burgers. Exactly. I'm not like even opposed to all the ingredients in a burger, but the problem is our proportions are totally off and what those are. Like you think about it, we have like a big piece of bread, a big piece of meat, maybe two big pieces of meat, maybe cheese, maybe a little bit of like lettuce and an onion, maybe a red onion, maybe, and then another bun. I'm not opposed to all those ingredients. I mean, a plant-based diet would be amazing, but that's hard for people to do. That's hard for me to do, to do it fully. But, uh, you know, I'd say the problem is our proportions are off. That little bit of lettuce, that little bit of onion, that little tomato that might be there, that should be the 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 main thing in that meal and the little bit of meat the little bit of cheese the little bit of bread that should be things that are there just to ornament the meal make it better and to help it taste better but that shouldn't be the centerpiece of the meal that is our fundamental problem so i try to like start with that discussion first and let people know that we kind of have it backwards like we we have to start looking at food a little differently here and then, you know, if possible, the more plant-based things you can get in, the better. I don't think people will should necessarily always cut out all meat. It'd be great if they did. I mean, but I couldn't. I wouldn't expect anyone else to. But what I try and say is consolidate your meat meals. So instead of having like three or four shitty hamburgers a month, have like one good steak dinner. Like have one good meal where it's like really good meat, quality meat if you can't afford it, you know, as opposed to a bunch of different hamburgers. And then... Exactly. Cutting out processed sugars, cutting out sugars that you drink, sodas. Those are the things that that just need to go because those are the easiest way to do it. That's the quickest and easiest way to do it. And so many people do that. What about, can I ask, what about diet sodas and like zero soda, you know, like Coke Zero, that kind of stuff. What do you guys stand on that? My take is that as long as you're not drinking sugar, then you are ahead. I, I was once on a drive time radio show in uh, for like detroit in the morning and i made a comment that i would have people switch from sugar sodas to diet sodas and i was cut off immediately because the radio host said he could never recommend 
diet sodas to his listeners because it causes so many health problems. And uh, I drink diet soda. I recommend it as a way of switching it off. If you can drink water, then that's okay. As long as it's not sugar, then it's it's much better. There's no evidence that it causes liver harm. Is It's just about substitution. Yeah, it kind of comes down to this whole argument of like harm reduction, you know, like safe needle spaces. Like I don't love hmm. diet sodas. I think there's lots of stuff in the soda that's not sugar, that's still not good for you. I'm not a big fan of them. I am a big proponent of coffee. Elliot actually came on an episode we did with um, who? Sanjeev Chopra. Yeah, right, right, right. Deepak Chopra's brother and prop the the rapper. And we talked about this for a while. I, I am a big fan of coffee. I think it's helpful for the liver. And I recommend it black without anything in it. That's like the one nice thing I can tell patients, you know, when I'm like, don't, you know, drink and watch your diet, all that stuff. So I, I like that. But, you know, I agree. It's better than the option. If the option is a Coke or a Diet Coke, I'd rather it be a Diet Coke. So, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Even though I don't love either. It's kind of like, hmm. Vaping, I don't love vaping. I think there's a lot of problems with vaping, but it's mm. probably better than smoking cigarettes, probably. Um, I, I so I, I yeah, but I'm I'm on the same I'm the same boat. Like ten out of well, ten. About, can you all recommending coffee? So yeah, <laughs> can you you all recommend exercise? Because it sounds like losing weight. Like, can you prescribe? I like I had a um a uh, bulging disc in my back, and I got I got prescribed uh physical therapy, which is essentially different versions of light exercise and stretching. Can you do the same thing for this scenario? So even for people who don't lose weight, but they start exercising, the the muscle, the, when it gets tired, will actually pull fat out of the lip, out of the liver to use for energy. It improves insulin sensitivity. And so pound for pound, People who are exercising but but stay the same still have less fat in their liver overall. So I it's hard for a hepatologist to figure out how to tailor an exercise recommendation in clinic. But if I if someone is coming to me, they were recently in the military, I'm not really worried about giving them uh, advice. I just tell them to huff and puff and make sure that they're sweating at least three times uh, a week but if they're old and and and, uh, and i'm worried about frailty i'll start off slow and just add minute by minute uh and i try to emphasize resistance exercise yeah it should all be covered by shouldn't gyms be covered by health insurance if all this is so much it's so uh it goes towards benefiting your health why can't we just get gym memberships that a hundred dollars a month is covered or fifty dollars a, a month or whatever. It's a pretty brilliant idea. I don't know. Does any country do that? I, I mean I don't know, but it seems so preventative and relatively cheap. I mean, like the Planet of Fitness is ten dollars a month. And if yeah. you, if a doctor could say, Yeah, I prescribe you three times a week, and there's a guy down there who's gonna give you the workout, just like you go to physical therapy. Actually, uh, that's a really good point. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you were a gym and you struck a deal with a big insurance company, you're probably going to do very well with that because, you know, truthfully, the majority of people won't go. And it'll probably be a small percentage of people who actually use it. Um, I don't know. I have no answer. That's pretty reasonable. And if, if a doctor <laughs> could then send you there and they know the person on the other side, if it's all within the system, if they can prescribe, if you can prescribe drugs and and, and even physical therapy is so close. It's yeah, like yeah. one step away yeah. from just yeah. go to the gym and get on a treadmill for 20 minutes and this guy will watch you. Yeah. No, that's a, 
Although, have you ever had a trainer? I did it one time for like a short term thing in China and it, it was useful. But yeah, I've never I haven't done it in America, so I can't say. All right. Let, let's um let's go to some listener questions. Actually, you had covered pretty much all the listener questions, I think, already. But there's one that I think we should get to. It's from uh, Karen Percy at Karen Percy at Blue Sky. That's a multi-part one, but I'll go to the last part of it because I think we should address this part. It kind of comes back to what we discussed in the beginning, which is if you are diagnosed with fatty liver disease or massled, um, should you moderate or change your alcohol consumption? So uh, the answer is yes. Uh, the alcohol is like, fuel for the fire. And when you add alcohol to known fatty liver disease, it's much more likely to progress to end stages uh, than otherwise. At the same time, it's like it's very challenging to regulate uh, people's behaviors when you know uh, that uh, what they're doing is relatively limited. So there's never a time that a liver doctor is going to recommend alcohol, no, not in moderation, not wine. Uh, uh, there's never going to be that. That will never happen. But, you know, one glass every now and then is unlikely to be the problem. The issue is that uh, I just I don't have any control over that. So I don't recommend any amount of alcohol. In fact, um, we see a lot of overlap. And so within this family of muscles, there's there's a category where it's like the muscle combined with alcohol. And we see that pretty commonly. And so oftentimes in clinic, I will I will ask people about alcohol and I might even check their blood for chronic alcohol exposure to get a truly objective sense of how much they're drinking. Uh, and if it's if it's high, we'll have an honest conversation about the sum total of things that people can do to improve the health of their liver in the long run. Turner, you, you mentioned to me that, and I checked to make sure it was okay to bring this up on air. You mentioned to me that you uh, stopped drinking recently. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to do that. Yeah. So I stopped drinking in 2019, like three months before the pandemic hit America. Um, Bad time. Unrelated, but just to give you a time frame of yeah. uh, when it was. And it was, I had had five years of um, chronic back pain. I had had this bulging disc that was pinching a nerve and the nerve, the, it was sciatica was shooting down my legs and the doctor would prescribe me physical therapy. I'd go for six weeks, nothing would happen. And then I would come back and he'd be like, you seem good to me. And then that, and then I would go home and have pain for years and years and years. And so eventually I just try, I talked, my friend's wife was a, um, nutritionist. And she's like, why don't you try like an elimination diet? So I did that, which I don't, would the audience be familiar, but this idea is that you take everything that could be harmful out of your body. And then you put it back in one by one, meaning sugar, bread, uh, what, I don't know things. And then alcohol was one of those things. And, and not only harmful, but also they do it with like tomatoes. You can go as deep as you want into this idea, every possible ingredient. So I just went, I think caffeine, sugar, um, gluten and alcohol. And I just said, I'm taking all of those out for like a year. And I did that just out of desperation to try to make myself feel better. And I would say I felt about within two months, about 80% better. And within 
Like I was, I had this for five years. I couldn't exercise at all for five years. Some days when it was really bad, I couldn't walk to the end of my block. And three months after cutting those things out, I was skiing in the mountains and I was playing, ba- I was light basketball exercise about six to eight months or maybe 12 months later, I was running. And eventually I started putting everything back in one by one, meaning like the gluten, meaning the, the light, light amounts of sugar, not a ton of sugar. And then um, when I tried to put the alcohol back in, maybe a year and a half later, I had a few drinks one night. And then the next day I was fine. I had a couple drinks the next day. And then after that, the back pain came back right away. And so I just went, all right, never again. That's the end of that. That is really interesting. And now I run else? four days a week. I'm like, did anything help. else, anything else change other than your diet? Did your weight change during this time? I'm about 10 to 15 pounds lighter than I was at that time. But um, I don't know if that's drastic. I was 165. I'm 150 now. Well, but that could have been because I wasn't exercising also. Okay. How much were you drinking beforehand? If you don't mind me asking. I, yeah, no problem. I was drinking probably, I would say f- probably 14 drinks a week or maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, you know, two or three nights a week and drink when I would drink, I would drink like probably five or six drinks, I would say. I don't yeah. know. Elliot, exactly. what do you what do you, what do you think? Have you have you heard have you heard of this? I mean, can you rationalize an explanation for why the alcohol may have affected his back pain in that way? You know, I I, I'm, I, I have to be humble and accept that I don't I, I I'm just happy that there's a, an improvement. But and while I don't have an explanation for that. And I think you were trying to get at one, which is that there's calories in alcohol. And when you cut back on alcohol, there's weight loss. And and also alcohol is a neurotoxin. It can cause neuropathy. It can cause depression. It can worsen pain. And so with with that uh, aside, it's just you're probably a bi- your ability to cope and handle pain from the body is, is better. But like for you, it's just I'm happy. And for the patients mm. I see in clinic who don't have that problem, back pain, but they have a variety of other things that get better when they stop drinking. And those things include the health of their liver, weight, sexual function, well-being, ability to cope with their family and other stressors. And then everything starts getting better when, they, when they're finally able to put alcohol behind. It might be tough up front to stop something that was part of your life habitually. But after after a while, when they can look back and just see how how much better things feel and how easier it is to think, it, it's quite rewarding. So don't have an explanation for that story, but I think it's a common one, which is just that alcohol kind of sucks when it be, uh, uh, and uh, the less of it we we drink, the better. You know, I'd Agreed. also say I would say that I've seen patients where there's. And I don't know if your liver actually had injury due to the alcohol or not, but I've seen patients where there is some chronic liver inflammation and they, for whatever reason, whether it's viral or or something else, they then remove that. It gets solved or treated uh, or the insult to the liver goes away and that inflammation goes away and then they feel better. And they didn't even know they weren't feeling great beforehand or they feel better once that whatever cytotoxins or I don't know what's going on that's being released from the liver that in those situations, but they'll feel better once their liver looks better. I have seen that. Haven't you, Elliot? Yeah. So, so 
It might have, I, I don't know, maybe it was some component of that too, but. Well, I, and I'll say that any doctor I've brought this up to, and I've gone to, eventually I got to, I went away from the back doctors and got to neurologists. And that's how that also helped. I mean, I, 80% of it was solved by quitting alcohol. And then the final 20%, I was on, um, I think, amitriptyline for a little while, mm-hmm. well, for two years, I guess, which a very low dose, 25 milligrams once a day before I went to bed. Mm-hmm. And that seemingly got the nerves under control. But I'm now off of that and I'm just fine. Um, oh man, that's great. So. No, we're listen. I will also add this. I mean, there is, I will tell my patients this sometimes too, when there is like a, this is not necessarily a mystery problem, but if there is like a problem where there's not an obvious answer or solution, and we've done the basic workup to, to see if there's something obvious that we can find, I'll tell them a lot of times I'll, that, you know, one of two things will happen. Either one, it'll present itself. It'll eventually develop into something that we can diagnose and, and treat, uh, uh, or, it'll go away and we'll pretend it's something that we did. And, and I'm very upfront about that because there's a lot of stuff we just don't know, you know, and that it will yeah. like it resolve on its own with time. And the patients are finding their own ways to manage this. They're doing little things. They're adjusting their, their daily routines in these really microscopic ways that over time can, can help. So they, I'm always glad to hear it. If, even if it's not something that we totally have a grasp on. <laughs> So we are not the end all be all of health. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm glad to hear it. Is it hard being a comedian without drinking? Is it, was that part of your act? Did you have to like go up on stage with a drink? No, no, I never drank before shows, but I would drink after. It's actually way easier to be a comedian now because I'm on the road a ton. Like I was, I just, to make this podcast, I just came back from Dallas. I was in Dallas two nights ago. Um, at most weekend, a lot of weekends I'm on the road. So it's getting, it's being on stage late at night, getting up and making the 6 a.m. flight the next morning to get to the next city or to get home. And when you add alcohol and hangovers to all of that, getting up at 6 a.m., it's like you're running yourself ragged. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. when you take all that out, you can get to the next city and be fine at noon. You know, you sleep on the plane an hour or two and then you're good to go for the next day. So it's, it's, it's a way easier job. And being on stage, when you're sober and everyone in the audience is drunk, you can handle hecklers so much better. You have this superpower above them. You're thinking with clarity and you know, they're not. And so you also have that confidence of being like, I can handle anyone in this room right now. It was Friday night in Dallas. There was like six of them in the front row, all at different tables. And I was just going through picking people off. They started it in all cases. I never start this with audience. <laughs> I'm not like the takedown a heckler guy. That's yeah, not, right. like, that's yeah, not my bag. But yeah. if it comes at me, I can defend myself. So I had to do it the other night. And uh, yeah, no, it ends up the, the job's way easier. That's fantastic. If you have questions about that, listeners, go back to our episode, whatever, 170 or whatever, uh, where we talked about hecklers with uh, Turner and Johnny Taylor as well. That's a good one. So, yes. Um, all right. Well, listen, that was really great, guys. I, I appreciate your time. You, this has been a good discussion. I hope people are walking away with a little bit more understanding of fatty liver disease. I've been People have been asking me to do an episode about it for a while. I've just sort of been like, um, I don't know, just like something you do every day at work. You know, you're like, I'm like, I kind of want to bring other new things to the podcast that I can learn about more. But having you here, Elliot's great because you always have a, a deeper understanding of most things liver. So it's always great to have you. And it's good to have a conversation with you both about it. So uh, hopefully the listeners took something away from this too. Uh, anyways, let's get some plugs in real quick. So uh, Elliot, if people want to learn more about you, your studies, your papers, your stance on pickle juice and its importance, where, where can they do that? 
You could you could follow me on pubmed.gov at Tapper EB or uh, I uh, I will be I'll still be tweeting yep. at EB Tapper or you can see me on Blue Sky. I recommend following him. He is constantly updating us on you know what's happening and what's hot in the world of liver, and he does it in a way that's very understandable and approachable. So that's huge. So it's not just he's like one of these high end Turner. He's like one of these high end like liver guys in the country. You're like looking. I feel like I just got a free doctor's visit. He's like a a kind of a big deal in the world of liver in the United States. He won't say that. I'm making him blush right now. Yes, I'm picking up on that. But like he's also like he's able to talk to people on sort of a human level, which is hard when you get to the higher echelons of like academia. They usually get weirder and weirder and less approachable. Mm, He's somehow maintained that ability to to have that conversation. And I enjoy making him uncomfortable right now. Um. Yeah, <laughs> Turner. Where Where can people find you? Yeah. So find me at Turner Sparks, spelled just like it sounds. S P A R K S. Turner Sparks on Instagram. I put up new stand up videos all the time. TurnerSparks.com for my tour dates. Listen to my podcast, Lost in America. We're talking about gun control in Serbia uh, on the most recent episode. They're uh, trying to take ninety percent of guns out off the streets which was easy to do in Australia when they did that 30 years ago. And the Australians always brag about that. But Serbia is a heavily armed country, like yeah. another country we might all know. So yeah. um, it's a better test case for us. Yeah. Uh, Serbia has been happen. through some shit. So I feel like that's a harder thing. To, yeah. 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 A lot of it. guns there. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to check that one out. And if you get a chance to check out Turner uh, live, please do so. Um, watching comedy live is one of the things that like as as i've sort of come to grips with covid and and i've started going out to things again going to comedy is such an important one i didn't even realize how much i missed so i really highly recommend it and turner we gotta get you out here to san francisco for a show soon come on man oh i'm coming um i oh man it's in november i'll be at the throckmorton theater oh nice uh, in marin yeah in mill valley yeah yeah very nice theater very nice Very nice theater. The Grateful Dead dudes are up there playing a lot. It's a very fun little place. I like it. Yeah, I'll check. I'll be there, buddy. November fourteenth. November fourteenth at the Throckmorton Theater nice. in Mill Valley. Very cute yes. little quaint downtown area. If you get a chance, go check it out. I'll be there. Um, thank you to Nadine for help with production. If you haven't already, rate and review us. I love reading the reviews that you guys leave on iTunes. They're super. They're super fun for me. So please keep doing that. If you have questions, I am checking the email again at hopquestions at gmail.com. Um, so thank you again for listening. And thank you guys so much for coming on. Love you both. Love you too. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.